Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the show. On this episode of the podcast, we will be discussing everything Clyde Mays. We'll go through the history of the distillery, current news, and of course, our personal favorite aspect of the show, the tasting. With me, as always, is my intrepid and brilliant co-host, Andy Kleshik. Andy, how you doing today? Doing good. I'm enjoying some great weather here in Cincinnati. Gorgeous. Uh, going to be sitting here going to a local brewery's like, third anniversary. High party. Grain. Yeah. High Grain Brewery and Kitchen. We're going to be heading yeah. down to their third year anniversary after this. Grab some uh, either some food truck food or maybe some of the high grain food. I think the Met looks delicious. What are you yeah. eyeing right now? I think it's uh, that Met looks good. They're just a ranch chicken sandwich looks good. Chicken sandwich always looks is good. Is good <laughs> always there. looks good. Yeah, they're gonna have a food truck there, so I'm sure there's probably gonna be something with that. Uh, that's gonna sure. be good. Yeah, that'll be so. Yeah, we we we'll just be walking down over there, and then uh, man, also some other big news. Well, yeah. The day we're recording this, we're one week what? out. S- seven days, two hours, and like. 33 minutes away from the wedding, something like yep, that. That's right. Basically one week away. And uh, man, it's uh, it's pretty crazy to be thinking, to think that. But uh, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, everything's pretty much planned. We actually started uh, packing for the honeymoon already. So we're oh, one week out from the from the wedding. We, are, we, we, probably, we probably got about 70% of the packing done, I would say at this point. So it's like a good start. And then I think kind of on the Sunday, because we get married on Saturday. We're, and then on so we have all day Sunday. We have a brunch on Sunday. Very happy you'll be attending that as well. Yep. And then uh, we'll come home whenever the, we're done with the brunch. And uh, that's when we'll kind of finish up that last 30 or and so percent. Days, you're out. Of you're that packing. Of that packing, yep. And then it'll be an early... An early night, uh, we'll go to bed early because I'm sure we'll be tired and hungover from the wedding, but also we're going to be flying out at 6 a.m. in the morning, so that's fun. <laughs> Those are always the fun flights. Connecting through Atlanta and then heading to St. Lucia, so we're, we're very excited about that. So we're actually recording a few episodes today to make sure it's all taken care of before I'm gone for 12 days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we're really excited, uh, really uh, happy uh, uh, about everything, and then uh, you know we'll obviously give you guys an update once we're, we're back. Yeah. Uh, so without further ado, and we'll give an update on high grain as well and how the, yeah. how the party went. Uh, but without further ado, Andy, why don't you go ahead and tell the folks everything they need to know about Clyde Mays. Of course. So this, I think this is the first one we've ever actually done. Um, so they're technically, their history, and I think the original distilling and everything are based out of Alabama for the, for the brand. Um, and it was something that, you know, they were founded by Clyde, Clyde his actual son, Kenny, after Clyde died in like the late 80s, early 90s. Um, so that's when their actual distilling began. So about 30-ish years ago there. Um, but the history kind of really dates back a little bit farther than that, if you will. Uh, so Clyde Mays, uh, who the brand's named after, um, he was born way back in the 20s during, you know, the Prohibition era. Ooh. And... Um, he kind of got his game started really early after being injured in World War II. Uh, of course, you know, prohibition nationally was, in the U.S. was done by that point in 1946 when he was injured and came back home from World War II. But I think in Alabama, I don't think they lifted until like this, at least the 60s or 70s, maybe. If I remember, I'd have to go back and look at when Alabama lifted prohibition, even if, if they've even lifted it. Um, as a state, even though it's legal elsewhere. Um, but he, you know, like I said, after he came home from the war, uh, in 1946, uh, he started, like, distilling moonshine and his own, like, 
whisk like grain whiskeys, corn whiskeys, maybe a little bit of bourbon or what would now be called bourbon. Um, in that time, kind of running it on his own homemade still, um, delivering to people and everything like that. Uh, and it, of course, all of this was illegally done uh, by him. Like he hadn't set up any legal operations um, at that time. And you know, it was, I, you know, initially he didn't really have a lot of name brand behind what he was doing. But it, you know, quickly through like the fifties through eighties, uh, 1950s through 1980s his reputation really began to grow for the products in part because of the products that he was making how good they were for the time um but also you know the fact that he just gained a lot of reputation in the early 50s for serving about 18 months in prison prison for moonshining in alabama um and it was something that he you know originally he was only distilling about 300 gallons of moonshine a week on his homemade stills. Um, and this recipe, the recipes and everything he used were really best perfected in the 1970s and 1980s, like right before uh, he died. Um, uh, and it was when in the 70s, actually, that's when he went to prison uh, and got out on parole in 1973 after about 18 months, a year and a half there in prison. Um, but, I mean, like I said, you know, he ended up dying in the late 80s, early 90s, if I recall. Um, and, of course, his legend continued to go on, grow, even though he was already dead. Um, and, you know, like I said, once he died his there, and uh, Kenny, his son, ended up taking kind of the mantle um, of the family distilling operations and decided, you know what, I like the distilling arm, but let's make it legal to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it was something, you know, that he ended up doing there in the 1990s. They ended up taking it legal. Uh, and he ended up becoming, or helping the brand become, at least for their website, the first official state spirit of Alabama. If not the first state spirit, uh, or state official spirit, um, in the country in 2001. Um, whereas, you know, like, that's, like, the one that, like, everybody wants. Kind of, like, the designated state spirit, so to speak. Uh, whereas, like, Kentucky has bourbon as a, as a category. This was, like, the one brand Alabama was kind of known for that time in 2001. And that's the designation it got. Um, and it was... That was about the time, 2001 was about the time that they, you know, ended up putting out their actual first bottled whiskeys onto the shelves, hmm. um, you know, after they had, you know, the 1990s to kind of build up the distilling, bottling, all that stuff, get everything legally passed in Alabama, um, and it was something that, you know, they had to end up originally sourcing while they were, much like many other brands have to do when they're starting out, uh, they sourced from a Kentucky distillery, which probably means, like, Barton, uh, for the time in the 90s, probably Barton, Four Roses, maybe one or two other uh, distilleries there. Um, and a lot of the time, like, in part that was because they didn't have their, like I said, they didn't have their actual old juice to um, fully aged or anything yet. But it was also because in 2013, up until at least 2013, actual, dis you could sell in Alabama but you could not actually distill in Alabama. 
it was still illegal to distill anything in Alabama, at least as far as like hard liquors go. Um, and so it was, you know, up until 2013, they had that challenge where they still had to source it. Uh, you know, and of course, during that time, like I said, became the first official state spirit of Alabama. Um, and then, you know, Kenny, soon after distilling operations were allowed to go about in Alabama in 2013, he passed away about three years later, uh, in 2016. Um, and he ended up kind of falling, um, victim to some of the same schemes that his dad did, like illegally distilling or selling moonshine, um, or whiskeys in Alabama of some variety. Um, and now his, his son, Clyde's grandson, uh, has taken on, uh, even though they've ended up selling to a different distillery in, I think it's in Alabama, uh, Kunica Ridge Distillery, um, his, his son, Clyde's grandson, is still a brand ambassador for them. So they're still, you know, the family is still involved with the brand and everything. Um, or no, no, their brand, the distillery name is Kanaka Ridge Distillery, but they sold off to a Dallas-based uh, Spirits Acquisition Corporation. Um, gotcha. But, you know, he's still involved with the distillery, um, still, you know, they still got the lineage and everything there involved with the brand. So, you know, they still got the family involved in it. Um, and they, as far as I could find, they've not really disclosed, like, which Kentucky distillery they, um, during that period where it's illegal to distill and everything, and when they, even when they might have been able to distill, but didn't have much juice to distill age and everything, up and going, we're sourcing from before that stuff could have gone onto the market. They haven't really disclosed. Um, I think what the age it was, distillery they were working with was, mash bill, etc. Um, you know, so I don't really have much history about that, but like I said, it's probably either Barton 1792 or um, Four Roses, maybe. I mean, there might have been a few other distilleries in the area. That could have done it, but those are the two biggest that I can think of that have been known publicly to source to um, others. Uh, and, you know, all of this aged product that they're now distilling on their own, but previously were sourcing, went into a few different um, products that they have on the shelves. They're, um, you know, they're straight bourbon and they're straight rye, a uh, 13-year-old cask-strength Alabama whiskey, and a special reserve straight bourbon. And then the one that we're trying today, which is their Alabama-style whiskey, which is a, a four-year-old uh, American whiskey, or Alabama whiskey, if you will. Um, and it's finished off, I think, with, like, a hint of apple, or, like, they do something that involves apple that apples that's meant to impart some of those flavors that you would get from an apple. Um, and I think what they, if I recall, what they do to that is they kind of just end up adding, like, crushed apples to the distillate. To impart that flavor, basically, during the distillation and maturation process. Cool. All right, you ready to give it a taste? Yeah. All right, so everyone, give yourself a pour here of the Alabama-style whiskey from Clyde Mays. And uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into the tasting. Uh, as always, we're going to start with the nose. 
What are some of the the notes you're getting in the in the nose there, Andy? I kind of get a velvetyness to it, like it's very like a velvety smoothness to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, some of the oak, it kind of reminds me like like I was saying with who they might have contracted with or sourced from, kind of reminds me a bit of a Barton product in that velvety smoothness and oak hmm. um, in it. I'm getting some like light cherry hints. <laughs> yeah, um, like a cherry or an, I'm kind of getting like, I don't know if I'm getting cherry. Like a cherry vanilla. But like a, I am getting some fruity notes in there. Maybe like an alab, like or an apple note. Um, oh yeah, definitely like some apple yeah. Citrus type, yeah. But like, You're getting some fruit. Yeah, I'm getting yeah, like some fruit for sure. Apple and maybe some other fruit that I'm just not quite picking out. Other than that, yeah. Let's give it. Let's give it a taste. Ooh, that has no kick at all. <coughs> what are you? Uh, what are you getting in it? Uh, I mean, I get a little bit of burn that's kind of like reminiscent of like a rye, but it's very, again, very smooth on the palate, like velvety on the palate. A lot of the fruit comes through. I mean, a lot of like yeah. apple, maybe some peaches in there. Yep. I'm getting the fruit mainly. Oh, yeah, like a lot of fruit in there that just makes it... Very dry. Yeah. It's like dry kind fruit, kind of. Kind of drying fruit, yeah. But it's like, it's not... I don't want to say it's not complicated, but it's just not, it's not opening up much. It's, it's not just, super complex. Yeah. Uh, like you said, not a ton it's of It's a kick. good sipping whiskey. 85 proof. Yeah, absolutely. Medium finish, I would say. Not a lot of burn at all. Fades pretty quick. It's, um, if you're someone who likes a, like a very smooth drink, I think that this is yeah. a, a definitely a good fit for you. Yeah, it's a good entry whiskey. Like if you don't want something overly complicated, it's going to burn you, turn you off away from it, uh, and just kind of invite you in for more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, folks, that's it from us this week. Make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave a review, uh, listen uh, to and share every on social media every episode of the podcast. We really do appreciate your guys' support. Uh, have a great week. Pour yourself another whiskey. And don't worry, America, we'll be here to drink with you next week. <laughs>